Good morning, everyone. It's great to be here uh, with you, faculty, staff, students of Truett Seminary, and Dr. Todd, thank you for your friendship. And uh, as colleagues, we work together, support each other, uh, working uh, in kingdom efforts uh, both here and around the world. So it's great to be here. I'm a fan of uh, Truett Seminary and uh, what is happening and how God is using you, preparing you for, uh, for ministry and for what the future holds. I think that um, as I reflect on where we are uh, today in uh, 21, right, the second decade of the 21st century, um, I think we're probably living in one of the most polarizing times that I can recall, uh, that I can think about, uh, polarizing in many, many ways. But, you know, it wasn't really too different from when uh, I was a, a little child, a baby. 1960s was kind of a difficult time. We saw three assassinations take place, John F. President John F. Kennedy, followed by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., and then Robert Kennedy. It was a shocking time. It was a, a paralyzing time. It was almost like, what is going on? Some of you are old enough to be able to pinpoint the place, the time, and what you were doing when you heard the news, the shocking news of, of those assassinations. Uh, my dad told me where he was and what he was doing. I was just two or three years old back then. About that time, there was a, a desire for people in our society to grasp for something to make things better. And two men came together to wrote a, write a song, uh, Hal David and uh, Bart, uh, Bacharach, Bert Bacharach came together to answer the question, what does the world need right now? Jackie DeShannon sang the song at first, and then later Aretha Franklin popularized the song, and it took off in the 60s. And actually, as I did the research on this song and looked at the story behind the song, I found out that it was actually a prayer. It was a prayer that Hal David was singing and saying to God out of desperation for the kind of situation that we were living in. And maybe some of you aren't old enough to hear the tune in your head or to know the words, so it goes something like this. Lord, we don't need another mountain. There are mountains and hillsides enough to climb. There are oceans and rivers enough to cross, enough to last the end of time. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. And uh, that's how the song goes. Now, 60 years later, I wonder if love was enough. I wonder if we're better off than those challenging and difficult and ugly days of hate and murder and assassination and the things that were happening in the 60s, the Vietnam War, racial strife. I wonder if love did the trick, if it made us better. I'm doubtful this morning. Today, I might say, well, I don't know, Yes, love helps, and I don't think it got us to where we need to be. Maybe what the world needs now is hope. A little bit of hope that tomorrow could be better than where we are today. Well, Dr. Steele, I, was, uh, I took my first sabbatical in 2017. I didn't know that you had to be there 10 years to get a sabbatical, so I always left at year seven. So, you know, word to the wise, try, try to stay 10 years and maybe you'll get a break. And so I was at Buckner for 10 years, and the board of trustees said, you can have a sabbatical. I said, well, what's that? Yeah, I'd love to have that. What you, I've heard of that. So, so I called my former professor, Dr. Daniel Sanchez, a professor of missions at Southwestern, and I said, Dr. Sanchez, I know you take sabbaticals. 
you know, and I'd like to get a hint on what you do. And, you know, the board has given me, you know, two months to just do whatever I want to do, go wherever I want to do, go and study and whatever. And he says, what are your plans? I said, well, I'd like to write a book. And he says, no, no, don't, don't write a book. Uh, do the one thing you never have time to do, and that's research. He says, research your book, don't write the book. You'll always have time to fit writing the book in the places of life when you have moments to write. But now research, unencumbered, uh, not bothered, free to just roam in the library, and whatever, that's something that's priceless, so I encourage you to do that. He recommended Dr. Avid, uh, David, Edward David Cook, the founder of the Whitfield Institute for Biomedical Ethics at Oxford, and also the founder of the Oxford Center for Mission Studies, which is a place where you study missions from the south, southern uh, uh, hemisphere uh, for the, the global south. And so I contacted Dr. Cook. He's a, a Scottish Baptist uh, theologian. And so we had a very interesting conversation. The first conversation was something like this. He says, so Albert, what do you, what do you want to study? And I said, oh, man, i got two months. I want to study everything. And I started naming all. He says, no, 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 that's, that's too broad. You've got to narrow it down. Call me back in a week and, and, and tell me what you want to study more specifically. So I called him back. And he said, okay, well, now what specifically would you like to study? So I, I narrowed it down to three areas. He said, no, no, that's too many. That's too much. You, you only have a week with me. So you have to get, get it narrowed down. So I thought, oh, my goodness. So I said, okay. So call me back in a week. So I called him back. And he starts the conversation by saying, what precisely do you want to study? And I said, okay. And I started to answer, and this is how he interrupted me. He said, well, the problem with you Americans... The problem with you Americans is that you try to take something uh, a good and you make it better. He says, but that's not the Oxford way. At Oxford, we take a problem uh, and we solve it. So what's your problem? And I said, as a matter of fact, I do have a problem. I have a problem I've been thinking about now for three weeks. My problem is that as I've come to know Jesus as my Savior, and I, as I was trained and taught in Sunday school and grew up in the church and then went on to seminary and studied in the master's program and then went on and did the demon and everything, it seems to me, as I look around in Christendom, that there always are two teams, that you're on one team or you're on the other. There's the team that really cares and is passionate about your soul and spiritual issues that uh, you not uh, end up uh, forever separated from God, but you come to faith. And so there's things like uh, evangelism and church planting and missions and, you know, the whole gospel of uh, telling people about uh, forgiveness of sin and salvation. And then there's another team that they, they really want to know if you have something to eat or if you have something to wear, if you have a job, if you have clothes, and, and they're really more concerned about the here and right now and the problem that I have is when I look at Jesus, I don't see two teams. I see two sides of the same coin. And he said, okay, that is a good problem. I said, so what, I, what do you plan to do about it? I said, well, I want to research this. I want to dig into it. And I want to demonstrate that, that really there are two sides to the same coin and that Jesus did both. And he says, okay, that's good. That, that's a good problem to have. So I then focused on the passage that you read a moment ago. Thank you for that. In Luke chapter 10, I always like to read of the four Gospels of Luke because he was a doctor and he was specific. And I would like my doctors to be very specific when they treat my body. So I like Dr. Luke and the specificity with which he writes in the accounts of what Jesus did. So I, I read that passage and I thought, I need to find a passage that is 
bluntly and without mistake a missiological, a missions-focused passage, but also has the other part of the team in it, and this is the one I found. And so th this is really a missionary commissioning, the, seven, the sending out of the 72, the 36 teams of two. He's sending them out as missionaries with, as you just heard a moment ago, giving them very clear instructions of what to take, what to do, what not to do along the path as they go to all the places that he was going to go. Jesus is always there before you get there. We never initiate a mission or a journey or a task for him that he's not waiting there for us to enter into his uh, field. And so he says, hey, first thing I want to say is, you know, the harvest is plentiful. There's lots of harvest. And what I want to say to the Truett students today, uh, the, the, my heart's conviction and my life experience is that there is nothing wrong with the harvest. Not only is there lots of it, there's nothing wrong with it. What the problem is, is there aren't enough of us in it. There aren't workers in it. Still today, there aren't enough workers in it. And it's a ministry to which you and I are called and so uh, he says there's really not enough workers. And the answer is that you have to pray to the Lord of the harvest so more workers can go out. And then he turns it on them and says, now you, now that you've prayed, you go. And uh, you're going to be sent now as uh, sheep among wolves. Don't take a purse, a bag. Don't take an extra sandals. Don't greet anybody on the road. Just go and, and I'll meet you there. And so the instructions are, the first thing is that he, they're to do on this uh, mission is to uh, give the word of peace. Stop for just a moment and let that word sink in. And, uh, peace, right? Uh, it, it comes from the Prince of Peace. It comes from the one who gives the peace that passes all understanding. Imagine for a moment what your relationships and my relationships would be like if there was never a possibility of peace. That we only have the opportunity of strife, conflict, you know, anger, jealousy, wrath, envy, that that's really what we have, and there's no way to reconcile it. There's no way that once you cross that line and you get on the bad side of someone or you offend someone, that there's no coming back. There's no peace to be regained. There's no reconciliation. There's no redeeming of that. You just have conflict and strife. And uh, it's what we have in Jesus, right, the Prince of Peace, that when you and I offend each other, and we will, that's just part of breathing. If you're still breathing, you're going to offend someone. You're going to have conflict with someone, even if you don't intend it. What's the way back? And the way back is peace. The way back is forgiveness. And Bishop Desmond Tutu says, without forgiveness, there is no future. And so we come to the Prince of Peace who says, the first thing you want to say when you get to someone's house, knock on the door and say, peace. Peace for this house. Man of peace is there, he'll, you know, he'll, 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 you'll stick with the conversation and he'll receive your peace and you can have fellowship, eat whatever they give you. Uh, no man of peace is there, then go, go to the next house. But if a man of peace is there, a person of peace is there, stay in that house, eating and drinking whatever they give you. Don't move around from house to house. So there's really a little bit of a strategy there. The person of peace has already been prepared by the Holy Spirit, already been prepared to receive what you're going to deliver. It's really not up to your eloquence or your bravery, or your confidence. It's not up to us. It's us to, up to us just to be present. And the more, uh, the older I get, Brother Todd, uh, it, it, it seems that ministry is not much more complicated than being incarnational. You just got to show up. You just have to show up. Jesus is waiting there for you. And so peace is the first thing that he says. And then he says, now, when you enter a town, and they uh, greet you and they give you something to eat. You know, just eat it. <laughs> be grateful. Don't ask what, what it was. Just be polite and eat what they give you. 
And, um, you know, he says, and when you encounter someone who is sick, he says, heal that person. Heal the sick and tell them that the kingdom of God has come near. Now, you probably are familiar with all kinds of healings in the scripture. The, you know, the, the woman who touched the hem of his garment. You know, the man that was lame and he said, get up, take your bed, go back to your family. Uh, you know, Jairus' daughter, she was asleep, so they thought. He said, he's, she's not a, he's not dead, she's asleep. So he goes to Jairus' daughter, says, uh, get up, rise up, give her something to eat. Right there with her parents and the other disciples that were with him. And you can think of lots of examples where healing was just by the touch or by the word spoken or by the faith that Jesus saw. It was automatic, on the spot, right there, and perhaps it even happens today, but not in this passage. Uh, the word for healing is therapuo. Therapuo, the people who are sick, and tell them that the kingdom of God is near. Well, therapuo is, is where we get the word therapy from. I've had therapy. I've had cardiac surgery. I've had therapy for 36 sessions. You get to be humiliated and go on and try to regain your strength with older people. Uh, although I'm, I may look old to you, I'm not as old as the people that were with me in therapy. But, you know, you go not once, twice, but 36 times. You make progress, you digress, you progress, you digress. And it's back and forth over repeated periods of time, over and over and over again until you are better and until you are healed. And that's what Buckner does. It's not a one-stop shop. Here you go, hope life goes okay. We're coming back again and again and again. And we're going to come back again like the Good Samaritan. We're going to come back to see if you need anything else until you are healed. It's a process. It's not just a one-time thing. And I wonder if we think of healing as just, I'm just here for now, but that's it. I'm gone. Are we willing to stay with that person and help them work through the ups and downs, the backwards and forwards until they are healed? And so this is what happened with Telia Sanchez. We were at a uh, the... Um, party, Easter party, uh, Easter egg hunt party, if we're allowed to have those anymore, uh, at a property where we were going to build a family hope center in Dallas, right just north of Love Field, the Bachman Lake area, just north of Love Field, an area where in uh, three or four square miles, there's like 90,000 people live in an apartment complex. It's just heavily, densely populated. So uh, we heard that they were charging the families 15 and $20 for their kids to come to have an Easter egg hunt. And we said, well, we're going to just do it for free. I said, Ricardo, uh, you know, you're going to be run over with people. You're you're, going to have 1,000 people there easily on four acres, so just get ready. And so I said, have you ever wondered how long it would take for you to knock on enough doors to meet a thousand people? He said, no, I hadn't thought about that. I said, well, they're coming to you. So let's do a pilot study. Let's do a pilot project. Now, I get away with trying things new at Buckner without policies and procedures and regulations when I call it a pilot. just a pilot. We're just going to experiment. And if it works, great. We'll do it again. If it doesn't work, it was just a pilot. Don't, 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 don't get stressed out about that. So, uh, pastors, if you ever want to try something new, just say, well, it's just a pilot. We're just trying something temporarily. It's a little bit out of the ordinary. I said, let's have a um, spiritual interest survey. Let's have a booth where we uh, ask people some questions. And, uh, you know, they don't have to participate. It's voluntary. And so ask them, one, if they have a Bible. Two, if they would like a Bible. Three, if they'd be interested in Bible study. Four, would they be willing to host a Bible study for six weeks in their home? And five, um, do they have anything that they want us to pray about? 
just five or six questions. So we had 189 families fill out that, that um, questionnaire, that survey, and 87, or 81 families said, uh, we don't have a Bible, we do want a Bible, we are interested in Bible study, and we will host it in our house. And I don't know if you ever saw the commercial where they start a business and they're excited when the first customer comes and then 100 and 1,000 and 10,000, they're like, oh no, what do we do now? So my first reaction was, what are we going to do now? We don't have 81 people to send out to Bible studies, so what are we going to do? So I'll tell you what, that's been a few years. We're still working on that list. But Telia Sanchez was one who asked for a Bible. We went to visit her house. I took some staff with me. I wanted to be the first one to try this pilot. So we went to visit and gave her a Bible, and I gave it to her, and all in Spanish. And, you know, and then so when, when I stopped talking, she says, well, thank you. I appreciate that. I said, well, why don't you tell me you spoke English? I'm struggling over here in Spanish. I'll bring you an English one back next week. So we got ready to leave, and she said, uh, well, aren't you going to pray? I said, oh, that's right. Yeah, we were going to pray. So you had a prayer request here for some physical uh, situations, some health issues. What, what, uh, don't mind me asking, it helps if I can know a little bit about what we're praying for. She said, well, and then she started tearing up. She said, well, you know, my mother died of this, and I've got bad kidneys. And then right behind me, just behind me, were three little girls. You know, they had to be six, eight, ten years of age. They were working on their homework. And she looked over my shoulder to them and said, I, I want to be here for my girls. And she started crying. And so I said, well, I'll tell you what, I can't promise anything, but I know someone who can help you. And, and I'll be glad to pray. And we'll, let's just let's pray around right now. So she said, girls, put your homework away. Come, this is the person that was going to come and pray for me that I told you about. So she was anticipating. She was ready. So we, the girls came up, and we, we took hands, and, and we began to pray. And I prayed for her and healing and, and uh, prayed for the family and, and uh, uh, prayed for spiritual things as well. And, um, and so she, st she started coming to the Bible studies. We brought another Bible. She had Bible studies in her home. She started coming to more. She came to faith in Christ. Her kidney situation didn't change. It's been about three years. She's up on the list in line to get a, a kidney next. She's been taking medications. But more than her physical health being resolved, her disposition, her countenance, her joy, her sense of uh, purpose of living and her aspiration for living all changed. And uh, healing is happening with Telia Sanchez. She also came to an economic uh, development class that we provided, and they always had this dream of starting their own business. And so we taught them how to do a business plan. Her husband was a, a carpenter framer, and so we said, here's how you do a proposal, and here's how you go to these house builders and, and, and pitch the proposal. And her question was, well, what if they say no? He said, well, if they say no, then you go to the next one, and you're looking for the yes. You just keep going. So we encouraged them to go back, and finally they came back one and said, we got a contract. we got a contract to, to frame houses, and, and uh, it, they're going to pay us $60,000. They'd never seen anything like that before. And so I said, great, so let's, let's do another proposal and keep going. So they, they had another contract and another contract and another contract. They had, had to hire people. They were living in a one-bedroom apartment when I visited them. Now they bought a house in Duncanville. And so they're now become donors to the work that Buckner is doing. Full circle, healing has happened. Therapeuo, because you're willing to stick with people until they get better. And so justice really comes out of uh, not this passage. You're not going to find justice in this passage. I had to borrow another passage that we're going to sing about in a moment. You all know the verse. 
Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. It's the very single thing that Jesus says, chase after that, run after that. Not ambition, not pride, not career. Run after the kingdom, go after it, seek it, look for it. And uh, here's the thing, when I was at Oxford, I did a little bit of digging, and the Latin Vulgate, the word for righteousness is justice. In fact, if you put your Spanish ears on for a moment, listen for the word. Buscad primeramente el reino de Dios y su justicia, y todo lo demás será añadido. So the words right there in Spanish, all along, uh, the 16th century translator into the, the Spanish had that, I just, I heard it, but I didn't see it. I always thought about the righteousness of God, the kingdom, of course, to run after that and to seek his righteousness. I think I understood what that, but I never thought of justice. So another rendering might be, seek first the kingdom of God and the justice of God, and all these things will be added to you. I have to tell you that I had my own conversion there at Oxford, uh, Oxford Center for Mission Studies, and I, I, I wept in my soul. And I said, I've never really been passionate about the justice of God for anybody except me. And so that's a new, uh, it's a new thing I pursue is What's right for the kingdom to be present? What's right if the king would be here? What is right for people? What is fair? What is just? And that we should chase justice as much as we chase the kingdom. And so I was standing in front of Maria Diaz Hernandez uh, in Oaxaca, Mexico. She was the, the, the community leader that we had invested a water project, a poultry project, and a hydroponic garden project in that community. And so we were now coming to tour, and so there was about 30 women and a few men in the back, and Maria was there. She wasn't taller than four, four and a half feet, and boy, she commanded the attention. And so she, we had a translator. I didn't need a translator, but the other people with me did. So she started speaking in Spanish, and she started and just wouldn't stop. She's like, I think she thought this is my only chance to talk to the, the big guy or the jefe, you know. So she, she just kept going, and there was no chance for the translator to catch up. Well, I understood she was saying, and she said something like this. We want to thank you for investing in our community, for giving us the opportunity and the dignity to do work. We're not afraid to work. And we now have showed you that we know how to run these projects. We have clean water for our community. We have meat and eggs for our families, and we have vegetables. And the money that you invested in here through your donors has been multiplied over and over and will be from now on. And then she said the, the, to me the, 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 the thing that really tucked my heart, and she says, and we want you to know that our men are coming back from the north. They're only up there because they're trying to provide a, a living for us to survive. But now they can work here. And I looked above her to the men back there, and they were beaming. because, like, yeah, we're back. We, we don't want to leave our families. We, we would rather work here, but we didn't have a way to work until you guys showed up. See, justice can be economic. Justice can be fairness. It can be equity. It can be many things. And for the follower of Jesus, it is something we should chase peace, healing, therapeuo, justice. And how does this happen? It happens when the kingdom comes near. He says, you know, when you heal these people and you've eaten their food, you've got to tell them the reason for their healing. Tell them that the kingdom of God 
is come near. The word in the original language is to, is to like hover, like the hover over. The kingdom comes, it comes near, it penetrates, it permeates, it surrounds, it's under, it's over, it's around you completely. So when we showed up, not that we were the kingdom, but we were representatives of the king. And wherever we go, the king goes. And wherever the king is, there can be a kingdom. Without the king, there's no kingdom. And so wherever we show up, we start just saying, what's wrong about this situation? What is right? What is just? Let's start fixing it. They need water. They need poultry. They need gardens. They need vegetables. What else do they need? That's what a kingdom pursuer does. That's what one who follows and chases a kingdom does. You don't have to be asked. You don't have to be invited. You know that if Jesus was here, and he is, there's work to do. And you know what? We never have problems getting to the plan of salvation. Never. Because they always ask us once we start. We lead with serving first. We lead with ministry. And then we follow with the spoken word of salvation, how you can have this one who has sent us. About a thousand people, I have to revise my numbers because ministerial speaking, it used to be a thousand, but they changed the numbers. You know, it's more like 700 people come to personal faith in Christ through our ministries every year. Not because we're an evangelistic association, not because we're a church planting. We will plant churches if we have to. I know how to do that. We will share the gospel when we can have the opportunity. That's not our mission. Our mission is to serve, right, families, children, vulnerable children, seniors. But we always have the word ready when they ask, and they ask a lot. There's nothing wrong with the harvest. And what the world needs now is hope.